Thank you for being a friend Travel down the road and back again Your heart is true You're a pal and a confidant If you threw a party And invited everyone you knew You would see the biggest gift would be for me the card attached would say thank you for being a friend hello everybody and welcome to beloved journal we are on season three of beloved journal so far, we've had 80 episodes uh, with so many incredible guests in each episode. I was trying to go through the other day and figure out who my favorite guest was, and I really, truly couldn't. These have just been all amazing people to talk to, and I am truly in awe of the conversations that have been had and the ideas that have been fostered because of this podcast. This season, the third season, will prove no different. Uh, for this season, though, I wanted to have a theme or at least a way in which we could approach the people that I wanted to talk to when we were cultivating this show. Uh, we settled on a line from the old hymn, All Things Bright and Beautiful, the, the, the title of that hymn, All Things Bright and Beautiful. The hymn was written by Cecil Francis Alexander, who also wrote the famous Christmas hymn, uh, Once in Royal David's City. But All Things Bright and Beautiful celebrates the beauty of creation, creativity, and the diversity of all things that God made. And that's what I wanted to talk about this season. I wanted that to be the springboard by which conversation might be had. The things that, that are diverse in our created order. The creativity that it takes to be human. And the creation that we inhabit. So our first guest has proven to be the perfect candidate uh, for a conversation on beauty and form and art. Hannah Rose Thomas is an artist and activist that has done more in her short life than many will accomplish in their entire lifetimes. She holds degrees in Arabic and history, along with an MA from the King's Foundation School of Traditional Art in London. She is currently a PhD student at Glasgow University. While she was living, living in Jordan as an Arabic student, she organized art projects with Syrian refugees. The rest is, well, as they say, history. She has worked in Iraqi Kurdistan with Yazidi women, Rohingya refugees in Bangladesh, and Nigerian women who were victims of Boko Haram. I can't recommend this episode or Hannah's book enough to you. You have got to check it out. The book is titled Tears of Gold. As we talked, I quickly realized that people like her are, are, are the people in whom hope can still be found in these dark times. She is someone you need to know and I hope you might take time to get to know her through this podcast and by ordering her book, Tears of Gold. And you can find links to order that in the show notes. You'll also note on today's podcast that there is a third voice in the room. And that is the voice of my colleague and friend, Mindy Grassel, who participates in this interview. When we were conceiving of this episode, we quickly realized uh, th that there was a need for someone who could have perspective that I knew I couldn't. And so I invited Mindy to come in front of the microphone, and she's been working with me for a while, and she's someone I consider to be a best friend and colleague in this work. And I'm so grateful for her willingness to participate in this podcast and in other works that I'm able to do. Uh, so without much further uh, introduction, 
let's listen in to Hannah Rose Thomas, author of Tears of Gold. Hannah Rose Thomas, thank you so much uh, for coming on Beloved Journal. It's a privilege to be with you today. Thank you. So I want to get to the details of your book, but first it's important to note that your book has a pretty incredible foreword uh, by His Majesty King Charles III. Uh, now, the foreword was written before his accession to the throne, and when he was known as the Prince of Wales, but still as a citizen of the Commonwealth, it must be humbling uh, to have your monarch write such incredibly kind words about you and your work. And, and I say this as a bit of a monarchist myself, despite being part of these pesky colonies over here in the United States. What was that like, and how did that come to pass? Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's definitely been a surprise that to have His Majesty the King agree for the forward to still be used even after his ascension. Um, and a real privilege, especially given his work in shining a light on the stories of the persecuted minority communities around the world. He's, he's spoke, definitely been an outspoken advocate on their behalf. So I actually had the chance to meet him um, studying my master's degree at the Prince's Foundation School of Traditional Art, that's now the King's Foundation. So he is a real supporter of the traditional arts. So I learned Islamic geometry, um, icon painting, and the early Renaissance egg tempera, and oil painting methods that I use in my paintings in the book as well. So that was my first chance that I had the chance to meet him during my MA degree show. and. It was really interesting to have the opportunity to, to apply these traditional methods to contemporary situations and, and the symbolism that's embedded in these techniques. And I think I was really touched that it spoke to him. Your book tells the story um, of people who've been through, I don't even know how to put it, it's, it's mm -hmm. such unspeakable horror and tragedy. I mean, this, yeah. this, is, this, is, this is a level of tragedy the likes of which you or I as people living in, in, in the world in which we live might never see. Yeah. Uh, in this book you speak of Yazidi women, uh, Rohingya women, and yeah. Nigerian women who have all again experienced uh, unspeakable horrors, and yet you try to give voice to that. We could spend a podcast and mm -hmm. more talking about each of these plights faced by these brave yeah. women. Um, for me, the Rohingya women uh, hold my conscience, especially in this moment, as we see the, 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 your conversations, not only with them, but the larger conversations in the world that are happening right now around them. You're calling your readers to attention for a geopolitical crisis that many nation states don't even want to touch, like mm -hmm. nations don't even want to talk about this issue. Yeah. Was that intimidating given the strength and power of oppressors in those regions that you, that, that these, these, these refugees come from? Um, not only uh, Rohingya women, but from mm -hmm. uh, the oppressors uh, in Nigeria and Yazidi, of, of the Yazidi women. Was, was, that, was that intimidating to talk about those stories for you? I think, I don't, I, I think probably not, I don't think intimidating would be the word I use, but definitely, definitely such a delicate and sensitive one to know how to represent and how to do justice to the stories of the women that I'd heard and felt I couldn't even really begin, I can't, like you were saying, begin to even comprehend what they have suffered. It's absolutely beyond, beyond what I can 
put to words or beyond, beyond what I could imagine. Um, but the, an extraordinary privilege to have the chance to meet them, to organize the art workshops in the Bangladeshi refugee camps, um, the, to hear the stories of the women who'd suffered such violence. And it's also, it wasn't just that one experience in 2017, it was from the ni 1970s, I believe, that they were stripped of their citizenship. And it's, they've experienced repeated bouts of violence and dehumanization. So I, I think intimidating is more like, I think how to do justice, but also how can we create a different narrative that, that will counteract this dehumanizing narrative that you see in communities like in Nigeria or Yazidi women, they, they experience this, this dehumanizing narrative that it almost puts them kind of beyond the sphere of like humans or like so which almost legitimizes this violence against them so yeah that's true of any genocide throughout history so my interest is in the role that art can play in creating space for what the Jewish philosopher Emmanuel Levinas speaks about the encounter with the face of the other and the infinite in the face of the other so how how can this encounter um bring us face to face with the plight of an individual, but also remind us that we're all made in the image of God and of equal value. And how can, how different a world do we live in if we actually truly believe that we're all made in the image of God and of equal value and treated one another with that highest respect and dignity that, that such being made in God's image should, should um, entail. Um, wow, that was, that was beautiful. Um, one of the questions that I had is, um, as I was reading Tears of Gold, which it's beautiful, it's so powerful. Um, I think many, many people should sit down and read it. It's an incredible book and really, really profound as you as you read it. But um, I was really curious as to what was your, your light bulb moment when you realized that this book was something that you needed to or, or maybe had to, to create? Yeah, I think it's interesting, I probably haven't had a light bulb moment, I think. It's kind of one thing has led to another and opportunities opened up. But I guess as a child, it was my growing up in Christian faith. My, mm. I was really like, my heart was really affected by the stories that I heard from a young age and a desire to be involved in humanitarian work in some capacity. Right. But I never really imagined it would align with my art, art. Like I've always painted since I was little, but I never really, saw myself as an artist I never really yeah it's just something I always did and I never thought that the two would align but it it started I guess just over a, over a decade now when I was living in Jordan as an Arabic student yeah. and I was living there for nearly a year and I it was it was the height of the Syrian refugee crisis with refugees pouring across the border and it, I just it was my first exposure to to something of that magnitude and I was invited by the UN Refugee Agency to do art workshops with some of the Syrian refugees. We turned UN refugee tents into like canvases, so works of art with the groups of refugee children. Wow. Um, and that was, I guess that was my light bulb moment. And that was the first time anyone ever described me as the artist. And wow. um, yeah, so that's the first, exp and the artist who's working in these contexts. and. At that time, I began painting some of the portraits of the women, the children that I met. And the idea was really to show the human stories behind these statistics. Because I think these 
these humanitarian crises, they're so overwhelming and difficult to begin to comprehend. And so you hear these numbers and it's too much that we can't even begin to take in. Right. But when you hear an individual story, you have a portrait that bring, creates that encounter with an individual that gives you that insight into, into their story and that creates a space for empathy, for understanding and for, well, that's the hope at least. Yeah. Um, so that's, I guess, yeah, I guess that was the light bulb moment. Well, it's, it's funny that you use the word empathy because um, I was going to ask, I, I know that you clearly have an abundance of empathy for um, the women whose stories that you tell. Um, I imagine that many of these stories have caused you to take inventory of your own life, your personal experiences. And I just wonder, um, how has this project affected the way that you view your own life? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, it's certainly humbling, absolutely. You know, you meet these women and I just um, never cease to be amazed at the resilience and strength of the human spirit, but also humbled by their kindness. And I, the women offered to pray for me, like in Northern Nigeria, and offered, the Yazidi women prepared like cakes for us with their limited rations um, as a thank you for all that we were doing. And those kind of things, it just, like absolutely is so humbling. These women who have nothing and that yet they want to give of what they have. And uh, I just think my life has been like, and indelibly marked and changed by the women, but for the better. Like absolutely humbled, but just mm. I yeah. I often think that like Jesus says, you know, the last will be first, the first will be last. But these women that I've met, they may be the kind of hidden corners of the world, and where women's voices are not seen and heard, and many of them have experienced like unimaginable suffering, but that they will be the celebrated ones in heaven. And so when I paint their portraits, it, it feels truly like a great, great privilege. I, I see it in that light, an absolute honor. You do a beautiful job of telling these stories in your book and even here on this podcast. And I think you do so without making them what we in the States might call trauma porn. Like the mm. idea that there's, mm. we, we have to see this so we can, you know, either feel moved to do something yeah. or feel moved to feel something. You tell these stories for what they are. They are stories of horror and, and, and terror and violence, and they need to be told. And I see you, and you seem to be more of a steward of these stories and caretaker rather than the narrator mm. in your book and in your telling of these stories. How did you how did you work to keep yourself accountable to being a steward yeah. rather than a narrator of a story? That's a good question. That's I think it's a fine line that I've been so aware of. I think it's very easy for this kind of work to be I exploitative in a way you come and then you go and you take the stories and representing them and definitely feel a lot of the time like who am I to even imagine I can represent these stories who am I to speak on behalf of the women but I always want I guess yeah, the, to shine the spotlight on their stories and not to like and to like yeah to kind of be out the picture more to for it to be but it's also like, as an artist, you're also ine inevitably your own story, your character comes out in your own art as well. So how do you, how to hold that tension is, is a really difficult one. But I, I think, I think I, tr I try to do it through the painting methods I use that are embedded in the tradition, the iconography tradition and the early Renaissance sacred art. So for me, the paintings are a form of prayer. So it's a, 
the 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 kind of symbolism that's embedded in the methods. So that's I I try to hold that place of prayer and place of I try to hold that place of humility, I suppose, with kind of wanting to do justice to these stories, um, in, in, and feeling honoured that I've been trusted to do so by the women, and wanting to make sure that wherever possible, I've been able to get images back to the women and stay in contact about where the paintings have been shown, um, and so wherever that's been possible. And with, with the Rohingya, it was very hard to get to go back and find each of the individual women. So the charity tried to that I work with, mm. but because the camp is so vast they weren't able to find each of them but in not the open doors in northern nigeria they made sure that the women received copies of the paintings and mm. and also and with the Yazidi community i've been in touch with them as well and i've heard even from on social media of all places from one of the Yazidi women who i've met when she was 15 so she's now yeah, 21 or so and and she's living in canada just finished college and she sent me a message to say just how much I, I couldn't believe it on Instagram um, to say just what a difference that those two few small weeks that I spent with them made, made to her during a very dark time for her after she'd escaped oh. ISIS captivity and her parents were still still in captivity. So those kind of moments I think just are, are just make it worth worth doing doing this work and yeah I feel like if it was only for her I would want want to have been there and mm. been able to. In a, such, in a small way, it's a drop in the ocean. It really is a drop. I just only wish I could do more. But um, that's, I think, a really difficult balance to hold. Um, but that's why I don't really make profit from the work, from the exhibitions, from because I think it's yeah, it's how to make it the work sustainable, but also like yeah, you don't want to be exploiting. So it's very yeah, like how to hold that balance is is one I yeah I haven't fully worked it out. I think and one that quite requires constant kind of reflexivity and yeah reflect, reflecting on yourself your motivations and I think that's yeah again a work of prayer but um, yeah, yeah absolutely um you know I you just told a story mm-hmm. of a person who made it to Canada mm-hmm. and you said that she still reaches out to you and keeps in touch um I'm sure that you have had um been impacted by every single yeah. woman that you've met that was in your book um, and more. Yeah. Are there, is there a specific one, which you might have just mm-hmm. told me about, but is there a specific story in your book, a specific human that you, you know, that stands out to you that you always think of when you think of Tears of Gold? Yeah, um, I guess, I guess where it all started was the Yazidi projects, that's where the Tears of Gold started, and that was when I was in Iraqi, I crowdfunded money to go out to Iraqi Kurdistan to spend two weeks with the Yazidi women to teach them how to paint their self-portraits as a way to share their stories. So I'd, I'd, from my own experience, I'd known the kind of healing power of art, so I'm not an art therapist, but I um, wanted to do go, go out there and to bring, bring this opportunity to bring the women's stories back through their paintings. And one woman, Layla, came up to me. It was the second day, and I was teaching the women to draw. They just started painting, and were, she came up to me to speak on behalf of the Yazidi women. She said, would, we wanted to ask whether you would paint our portraits. So that was her asking that. I was like, deeply touched and, and humbled and privileged that she would ask such a thing. I mean, I was hoping to kind of ask them at the end of our time together if, that, if they would consider that um, but I never thought that she would be the one to ask me and she herself had 
um, two two sons still in captivity and uh, lost her husband in ISIS hands, um, the hands of ISIS, I mean, and her story was just heartbreaking. But I remember on the day when we were leaving and I was saying goodbye and I was tearful, she cupped my face just tenderly in her hand and I wiped my tears away. It was just, yeah, she was so special. Um, and... Yeah, I, I I could speak about every single woman because yeah, each each woman, each story is just yeah, kind of yeah emblazoned on my heart. I'll never remember, never forget by anyone. Yeah, that's that is so precious. Um, it's gonna make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> so um, one thing that consistently uh, speaks to me about your book is the fact that many of the women who um, many of the women create their self portraits and. I was wondering, were, you were there with them when you mm. when they created them? Yeah, I was teaching them to paint. What yeah. was that like? Oh, it was so special because most of the women had never painted in their lives before. So, and, I, and it was and it's so special to just be able to encourage and to like when when you like when you just are encouraging and affirming how like their faces would light up mm. and just how amazed they were at what they created as well having never drawn before they just like couldn't seem to believe what they made but it was oh, I think the story of the book the title of the book I mean is called Tears of Gold and that's because the women paint most of them painted themselves with gold tears so it was to symbolize their like their their um grief for loved ones lost and still in the for the in the for the case of the Yazidi women still in ISIS hands and in Nigeria as well, it was grief for what they had experienced. But I remember one woman, Aisha, said that she, this was in northern Nigeria, she said she chose to paint herself with gold tears to symbolise, you know, God turning her mourning into, into tears of mourning, into, into joy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and that was just such a beautiful imagery that stayed with me. Um, but in Nigeria in particular, though, it was interesting to witness how there was such a heavy atmosphere, sadness, when the women were drawing their portraits and drawing the tears and painting this so intricately but then the next day I bought a load of Nigerian fabric from the markets for them and they we gave each one enough each woman enough fabric to be able to make their own dress as well afterwards but they sewed the fabric onto their portraits so to kind of to give, bring that vibrancy and there was singing and there was laughter and it was like totally kind of atmosphere change from the last day but it felt like they had to move through that process of lament to have a kind of a space of lightness a space of joy and I, I could really see such a change in each of the women um I think just being seen being heard being valued um and yeah, through the art process, being able to express their story and know that their story was being out there in the world, and, and also that, to know that they weren't forgotten, that, that, and that also that they were being an advocate on behalf of other women who've experienced what they've experienced, right. was, yeah, an incredible That's privilege to witness. Yeah. That's incredible. I know you're a woman of faith. Um, sounds like profound faith. Um, these issues for me as a pastor bring up what Christians call theodicy, the justice and fairness of God. How mm-hmm. could a just and fair God allow such suffering? And in some ways, you've actually given some answers to mm-hmm. you know, tears turning into what God might have them mm-hmm. turn into. I'm not going to ask you to be a theologian mm-hmm. and to think through those issues, but I am going to ask how people of faith here in the United States, um, here across 
the, 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 the world that is able to do something. Mm-hmm. What can we do? Because the, the, there is a, there's a danger here. In, in our wanting to do mm-hmm. something, sometimes we, 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 we get overzealous and we, yeah. we take away from the, the, the good and important mm-hmm. and, 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 and valid work like people like you who have been on the ground are doing. And I would never want to do that, but but maybe maybe is there something clear and constructive that a person of faith, sitting here in the United States, hearing this podcast, reading your book, that we commend to every listener. You've got to get a copy of this book. You've got to see it um, for yourself. What could they do to help make a difference in these scenarios that we're talking about today? I think, like I was saying before, like we're all all the. What any of us can do is a drop in the ocean, but we all have different gifts and different skills to offer, and different have been um, humbled to be able to use art in this way. To but we've all got different talents, different kind of things that are on God's placed on our heart to be able to do and use. But I think um, I think the most important thing to do is pray, to keep hearts soft, to keep um, receptive to these stories. To I think at the moment in the world there's such a like danger of polarization and escalating kind of far-right politics and all these things are very worrying to see around the world but if if we can continue to keep our hearts soft and open and remembering how we're all made in the image of god and just to keep yeah keep these women in our prayers that really meant so much to the nigerian women in particular to know that to know that they were being because the painting methods that i used was intentional that they invite the icon painting is, is meant to create space for contemplation and for prayer. So the hope is that, yeah, that that's what it will invite for people who witness these paintings, not to feel weighed down and hopeless at the plight of so many people around the world, but actually for it to lead, lead us into prayer, because actually these situations are overwhelming and beyond what we can comprehend. And sometimes in those times, all we can do is pray. You know, I can, I personally can only imagine the process of actually hearing these women's stories face to face. I mean, I was trying not to cry just hearing Mm -hmm. them from you. So I can't imagine actually listening to them recount those events. There must have been such a careful balance of asking questions Mm -hmm. and making sure that um, there aren't any boundaries that are crossed. and just making sure, I'm sure that your yeah. number one goal, you were eager to tell their stories as clearly mm-hmm. as possible. Um, but how were you able to balance your goal of telling these stories while also being careful to respect the boundaries of these women? Well, I think, I think that was the nature of being able to like, have a few weeks with them doing the art workshops. There was a chance to build trust to be like to spend time with them to play with their children to te- learn how to paint to have meals together and the in Nigeria they taught us some of their like songs and dances um and to pray together so I think that and then it was only if they wanted to share so we kind of each woman had the chance to meet meet face to face and and share their stories in which we recorded if if they were willing so we got kind of full consent um, and it was only if, as and when they wanted to um, create this great space for that, and and heard their story, and there was a space to pray for them afterwards as well. And 
absolutely there's no words particularly like it feels like it was very difficult to find words to pray after you heard such such stories from the Nigerian women in particular I think having a shared faith meant that we could pray together and that was yeah that was something that was really special about being in Nigeria um but I think it's a really delicate one as well because you feel really aware that these women are opening up their stories and then when I go, they go back to their villages that are vulnerable to attack or back to the camps where they live. Um, and so how to actually make sure... So we had a trauma team working alongside us who was helping with teaching the women like practical things about what to do when they have you know, flashbacks or have like... Uh, so they were kinda like, there was a team alongside who were helping with that as well, which is so important, I think, particularly with issues that are so delicate and that they're living in an ongoing conflict zone as yeah. well. So it's, I think, it was only as and when they wanted to share, and they did want to share, they wanted their stories to be heard around the world and to be a voice to know that we were going out there and that they were being a voice to, on behalf of other women as well and, they, and that people cared enough to come and to gather their stories too. So, I, yes, definitely a delicate balance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we have one last question for you on every season of the love journal that I've had so mm -hmm. far. I've thought of one question that I could ask every guest that I'm interviewing for that season. And you're actually going to be the start of season three, which is really cool. So you get a new question. Um, and we're kind of focusing this season on beauty and seeing beautiful things mm -hmm. and, and witnessing beautiful things, playing witness to those beautiful things. So this is your question hmm. that we're gonna ask you and every guest throughout Beloved Journals season three. What is the most beautiful thing you've ever witnessed or seen? Wow, that's a beautiful question. You know, I could talk about all the paintings that I've seen in the galleries or sunsets or time in nature, but I think some of the most beautiful things that you witness is like the beauty of the human spirit, I think. Um, and yeah, the, those, the, it's the spirit of the women that I've met. And I think that is also what I try to create in the paintings is to, no matter what women, everyone has experienced, there's ever, we all have beauty inside us. And sometimes, like, sometimes it takes work to be able to see that beauty in the, those that you meet. Um, and other times it's very apparent, but I think it's to constantly be looking for that beauty, looking for that kind of got searching for that gold in each person, and to I just draw that out in the paintings, and and every single person has that. So it's yeah, how how to capture that, how to keep looking for that, because it's easy to get blind, I think, or like in the busy rush of the days, and to forget to see that in those who are even closest to you, I suppose. So I think yeah, it's a the beauty of the human spirit. Hannah Rose Thomas, your book is Tears of Gold. Thank you so much for coming on Beloved Journal. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, yeah, a delight to speak to you both. Beloved Journal is a podcast on a mission. Check out our other episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Today's podcast was hosted by the Reverend Rob Lee. Find him on Twitter at Rob Lee4 or on Instagram at Rev Rob Lee. You can find our social media on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Beloved Journal and finding our logo. Beloved Journal's theme music is a cover of the Golden Girls theme song done by Mipsa. Seriously, they're the best band in the world. This podcast was the dream of Stephanie Lee and was produced by Maggie the Golden Doodle and Frank the Poodle. Go show the world that it's worth fighting for. And as always, thanks for listening.